The reading this morning's from Genesis chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look towards the heaven and number the stars, if you were able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, Behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Well, thank you very much to all those who've led us uh, thus uh, far. Now, gathered together under God's Word preached, our prayerful desire, indeed our prayerful expectation, is that God will speak to us, and therein we will encounter the living God in His person and be changed. So let's pray to God to that end. Our loving Heavenly Father, Please, would you speak to us through your word preached? Please, would you manifest yourself among us? 
And please, would you change us? For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this is a wonderful chapter in Genesis. You might often hear me or the other preachers say that, but this time it's really true. What happened? And remember, we're reading narrative history in Genesis. is astonishing. It's life-changing. And it's all about God. Now, I've tried to convey that in the outline on the service sheet through the relative size of the text. That was intentional. So, yes, we are drawn into what happened as we bring our fears and doubts to God. But what will change us is what we learn about God, His kindness, His promises, and His, His covenant or promise to us. So, heading number one, bringing our fears and doubts to God. Genesis is a book about the beginning of God's plan to save humanity. God makes a foundational promise to Abram. If you have a Bible or on your phone, just go back to the beginning of Genesis 12 as we listen again to the first time God makes his promise. So this is Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Now, we could paraphrase that. Step out in faith. And I will make of you a great nation. In other words, to his descendants. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, or through your line or your descendants, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, if you are a Christian sitting here this morning or listening online, you are included in the fulfillment of that promise. Christians are part of the family of God. Not because we're sitting here or tuning in, but because of Jesus in whom and through whom the promise is fulfilled. God's promise, articulated here in Genesis 12, requires a Savior, and Jesus is that Savior. Now, as we read through these chapters in Genesis, listening to God's Word, even though this is the book of the beginning of the story of God's salvation plan, there are pointers to Jesus. Shadows of Jesus appear, like uh, that uh, uh, strange character, Melchizedek, king of Salem. We encountered him last week. The king of Jerusalem, that's what Salem means, who came to Abram bearing bread and wine and blessed him. If that sets off a spark fulfilled in Jesus. That's right. Now, think of the promise God made to Abraham. Abraham is just a flesh and blood person like us. There is every reason for Abraham to doubt the promise will come true. For example, his wife Sarai is old and she is unable to have children. Moreover, God had promised to give Abraham the land of Canaan, 
the land that would figure significantly in God's plan to save humanity, the land that would become Israel and Judah, the promised land, and so on and so forth, where Jesus came. And the problem was, when Abram arrived in that land, it was already occupied by lots of kind of powerful groups. And chapter 14 described how Abram had rescued his nephew Lot from the kings and rulers of Elam, Goim, Shinar, and uh, Elazar, and I bet uh, if you were here last week, uh, nobody, there's always one though who does, uh, would know about Elam, Goim, Shinar, and Elazar. But that just reminds us, this is factual history. And uh, Abraham had rescued his nephew Lot, and uh, he was afraid of retaliation. He's afraid, and he doubts God's promises. Now, let's just trace that through the text. If you look at Genesis 15, you'll see that. What God says to Abram in verse 1, fear not, Abram, I am your shield, indicates that Abram is afraid. Chapter 15, verse 1, fear not, I am your shield, because he's afraid. He's made enemies. Verses 2 and 3 of chapter 15, Abram doubts the Lord's promise that through his line, his descendants, there will be this massive family of God across the whole earth. You would doubt it too. If, how can that be? Abraham concludes, since we have no child. And since we can't have children. Then in verse 8, Abraham doubts that he will possess the land God had promised. O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? You see the anatomy of doubts. Abraham has doubts about God. How will you fulfill what you said? And Abraham has doubts about himself. How can I be sure I will possess the land? That's the realm and the anatomy of doubt. Doubts about God. Doubts about ourselves. Now, I don't want to spend any more time on this bit because I want to get us to God and to listen to what God says and look at what God does in response to our fears and doubts. But for the next minute, can I encourage us, perhaps prayerfully where you sit, to bring to your mind... Bring it out in your mind. All of your fears, whatever they are, the one thing I know is that you are like me and you will have them. Bring to your mind your doubts about God. Doubts about yourself as a believer. Tempting to bury them, but don't. Bring to God what you're afraid of. We don't need to tell anyone else around us. Though that's often a good thing. Just tell God. The darkest and the deepest fears... And the doubts about God and yourself that you think nobody else has.
they do. Now, let God, from his word, and our expectation, rightly, is that God will speak through his word and manifest himself to us and in us and among us. Let God meet your fears and doubts and mine with his kindness and his promises. Now, he meets our fears and doubts in many ways in the Bible, but here it's his kindness. How do we see and experience his kindness? Well, just look at the the progression of the text. Abraham is afraid. Verse 1, God speaks to him in response to his fear. I am your shield. Now, that's the God of the universe speaking directly to Abraham, at which point you're going to think, well, he's never going to be afraid again, or he's never going to doubt again, and then we get verses 2 and 3, big doubt. That's just real, isn't it? We doubt today, we doubt tomorrow. We keep on. That's real. There's no rebuke about that. Verses 2 and 3, Abraham expresses his doubts to God about his promise. Verse 4, God speaks to him in response to his doubt. Then God takes him outside and he says, Abraham, look at the stars. Let me show you. That's your descendants. Verse 6, Abraham believed and God credited to him his righteousness. Verse 7, God's on a roll here and he says, okay, let me just remind you of the promise again. Verse 8, Abraham doubts. Verse 9 and following, God responds. Now, that is the pattern of real life. Well, from our perspective, it is. We doubt, we fear, we doubt, we doubt, we fear. What's not the pattern that we might expect is God's gracious response again and again and again. How kind God is to keep responding to my doubts and my fears. How kind he is. How kind he is. And if you are a young Christian or just young in years, speak to an oldie, and they will say to you how kind he is still. I just caught sight of my parents because they're my parents I can say they're very, very old. (laughs) But of course they nodded. How kind he is. How kind he is. But how tough he is too because what God will not do is leave us With our doubts and with our fears. He'll come at them, come at us in a gracious way, but wanting to to deal with them. And he wants to hear us to hear, trust me. Trust me, trust my promises. Trust my care of you. So let's listen 
to what God now says. Let's hear his kindness and his directness and his certainty and his clarity and his taking on our doubts and fears. So just you'll get the flavor of this quickly. Verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Abraham and he said, fear not, I am your shield. Your reward shall be great. Verses 4 and 5, the word of the Lord. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. There's no ambiguity. There's clarity. Verse 7, he said to him, I am the Lord. Verses 13 and following, then the Lord said, no for certain. Verse 14, I will bring. The end of verse 14, they shall come out. Verse 15, as for yourself, you shall go, you shall be buried, they shall come back. Verse 18, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, it's full of words about speaking, words about speaking, it's full of speech. This is my word, God says. This is my promise. God speaks clearly, directly, with certainties. His words are a a promise. Now, let me take you into the realm of my prep over, over this week. One of the things that the preachers must do, just pastors and churches, is wrestle with the Bible passage before they preach it so that what God willing happens in, in our lives as preachers is what will happen in, in all of our lives. My response to this at one point this week saying, God, that's all very well. You spoke directly to him into the realm of his specific situation, his specific doubts, his specific fears. What about mine? And if you think I'm just making that up as an illustration, absolutely true. What about mine? What about yours? Now, God does speak. Here's the answer I found in two ways. One, we have the whole Bible. And in God's Word, we have everything we need. The Bible is full of promises articulated into situations that we face. But there's something else and it's here in Genesis, is that the words of God and the promises of God here in Genesis 15 are foundational. What's being described here is a major event in God's plan to save humanity. Now, we are like Abram in the sense that he is a flesh and blood believer who needs to learn to trust God's promises, but we're not like him because God used him in a very particular way. These are foundational events, foundational events that we look to, foundational promises upon which every promise stands. 
There's a repeated phrase in Genesis 15 that makes it clear how foundational this is. You see it in verses 1 and 4. The word of the Lord came to Abraham. The word of the Lord came to him. Only twice in the first five books of the Bible, here in verses 1 and 4, that happens. It's a big deal what's going on. Do not be afraid. I am your shield. Is like a a foundational promise in the Bible under which all the promises of God about fears and doubts in the specifics of my life come. Now, that's not a glib statement that we pass over. It is profoundly true. Now, one very important principle for the Christian life, and one that we're taught in Genesis, is that we are to walk or live by faith in God's promises and not by sight. We are not to live by what we see. We are not to be guided in life by our senses. We are to trust God's Word And for some of you coming up to university for the first time, you're going to be in an atmosphere, in a world of so much stuff, so many noises, so many words. The one fixed reference in life is what God says to us in His Word and in His Son. We walk by faith in obedience to God's Word and not by sight. But that does not mean that we are not to look at what God wants us to see. Sometimes He wants us to look and see, as well as to listen and believe. Like that night when God took Abram outside in the dark. Now, I suspect that many of you undergraduates might be coming home in the evening in the dark, plausibly. Look up to the sky and remember Genesis 15.5. Who do you see in the sky? You, represented by these stars. And there are events that happen key to our salvation that God wants us to see. Now, that brings us to the third point on the outline, God's covenant enacted. Uh, This is great. Uh, Read with me from verse 9. God said to Abraham, uh, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And where birds of prey came down in the carcasses, Abraham... Now, you might think, why did he say that was great? It's gruesome. What's going on is great. So what Abraham does, you've got to get your head around this. It's alien to to our culture, but not to the culture then. He takes these animals and he cuts them in half, apart from uh, the birds. Why did he not cut the birds in half? Probably because the turtle dove was a symbol of of, of hope, of of grace, of the gospel from the, the, the flood. But he takes the animals and he cuts them in half and he arranges them on two sides with an aisle down uh, the middle, perfectly illustrated in front of me. 
So an aisle down the middle, and on either side, half of the animal, half of the animal on the other side, half of the. So that's that's what's going on here. Now, in our culture, if you want to make a covenant or a contract, many of you will have uh, signed leases on, on flats, or your parents or uh, will have done that. What you do is you sign on a bit of paper with writing. Our legal system holds you to what you promised by signing. We all understand that. In the ancient world, the culture then was to act out the covenant. Much more exciting. There were a lot of ways you made covenants back then, or promises or binding agreements, but this was a common way. Now, we don't get all the details here in Genesis 15, because the original uh, readers, when Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, would have understood exactly what's going on here. They would have uh, talked about cutting the birds and the, the animals in half and the aisle, and they would go, yeah, I understand that. This is a covenant. You can read about it in Jeremiah 34. Now, what would happen? Okay, you've got this aisle, and you've got the animals cut up and divided and down uh, both sides. What would happen is that the two parties to the covenant, the two people agreeing uh, the promise, uh, would walk down the aisle from one end to the other in between the, the slain animals. And symbolically they were saying, by walking down between the slain animals, if I break the covenant, may this happen to me. So if I break the covenant, if I don't do what it says, let me die. It's pretty powerful stuff. There's one exception to that normal practice. And the exception was a covenant or a binding agreement between non-equals. For example, a king and a kingdom in the ancient world and a vassal state. In such a case, only the representative of the vassal or the conquered state would walk between the pieces. The king would look on from a position of height and authority. There's no reciprocal obligations for the king. They were gracious in even letting the conquered party enter into a covenant. Now, that's the background. It's not hard to understand. You can picture it in our minds. So picture it in, in your minds. And uh, uh, having done what God had commanded, Abraham would be just ready, ready to be told to walk down the aisle. Of course he would. Because it's God speaking. Now, if Abraham had walked down the aisle that day, he wouldn't have doubted the fairness of that, but that wouldn't have helped him with his doubts or his fears. Because he would have thought, well, how on earth am I going to get through life and not end up breaking this covenant. What happens next is astonishing. Verse 12. Sometimes we preachers say at this point, because we're flagging, it is astonishing. But this really is. It really, really is. And we're just in Genesis 15. We're just in the beginning of the Bible. As the sun was going down, verse 12, a deep sleep fell on Abraham. Behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Uh, that's uh, better translated, perhaps, as a foreboding, overwhelming consciousness of the Lord's judgment. Verse 13, 
Then the Lord said to Abraham, and here we are back, he's articulating the promise with some more details. Know for certain that your offspring will be soldiers in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. And he's talking there, I mean, he's letting the bad news out. Yes, my promise will come true, but for 400 years, you're going to be in Egypt. Now we read of that at the end of Genesis. Then there'll be an exodus. 400 years, you're going to doubt Now, what God is doing is reiterating the promise. God will do what he says. God will keep his promise. 400 years, but he'll keep his promise. And what does he say to Abraham? So he says to Abraham, look, this is going to happen, but I will keep my promise. What does he say to Abraham? Do we get a long sort of list of what Abraham is to do? Nothing. God says to Abraham, isn't this kind? Abraham, as for you, remember he said to God, what about me? What about me? As for you. You will go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. It's kind, but strange. What about Abraham's side of the covenant? Surely there are conditions. Now what happens next? Verse 17, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between uh, the pieces. Now, the Hebrew words translated a smoking fire pot and a flaming church, uh, torch are, are used to, to describe the appearance of God at Sinai in the Exodus. In other words, it's the presence of, of God, uh, smoking uh, fire pot. You've got to just imagine that in your, your, your minds. Think of uh, uh, COVID, fire pits. Yeah, smoking fire pit, atmospheric, powerful, visceral hot, smells, and the flaming torch is probably better translated as like a a searing streak of lightning, imagine that, that held its shape. So we see lightning flashing, this is lightning that holds its shape. And then what happened? That night under the stars, when the covenant was being enacted, that night under the stars that pointed to Abraham's descendants, under the stars that pointed to you, that night on the ground, on the earth, God came down. And what did he do? God passed between the pieces. The smoking fire pod and the flaming torch passed down and through the aisle Kings didn't do that. The God of the universe certainly doesn't do that. But he did. And God is saying, and we might find this hard to conceive or to conceptualize in our mind. I find it hard this week. But God is saying, God is saying to Abraham and to us, if I do not do everything I have told you I will do, I must die. I should be torn to pieces. That's exactly what's happening. It's extraordinary, astonishing. And what happens next, or what doesn't happen next, is equally astonishing. Try and let the drama grip us, shock us, thrill us. That's right, I think, grip us, shock us, thrill us. 
Let me read again from verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepoint and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. That cannot be right. There is a verse missing in our Bibles. Between 17 and 18, surely this is missing. The Lord commanded Abraham to get up and walk down the aisle between the pieces. But he didn't. Now, what we have here, and let's give it the Bible word that describes it, is an unconditional covenant, an unconditional promise. The promises being kept and fulfilled are not down to us. And this is Genesis 15. It's all on God. Now, let's uh, harness again our fears and our doubts what does this do to our fears and our doubts? Just think what's happened in this passage. God says, look, talk to me about your fears and your doubts. I'm a gracious, I listen to you, I listen to you again and again. through. Hear what I'm going to say to you. I am your shield. I am your guard. I will get you home. I will bring you. I will save you. And then look, look, look. Watch me walk through that aisle. You stay there. It's all there in Genesis 15 to build our assurance in God and the gospel. It's astonishing, mind-blowing, wonderfully comforting. Life-changing. And yet there is one more level. God said that if he broke the covenant, he would be cut off. He would surely die. Was God serious? Is God speaking factually, accurately? Or is God just saying this to, to get Abraham on to the next stage when he pulls something out from up his sleeve and say, actually, it wasn't true? Remember, a covenant is two sides. It's got to be obligations. So how on earth is God not going to die? God's setting himself up to have to die. And of course, we know the answer and find the answer way down through salvation history. And we understand why Jesus had to die. Why God had to die. Why God the Son had to be, in the words of Mark 15, cut off. Why God the Son had to cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why God said as he looked down that aisle, Abraham and all of you here, stay at the end. Jesus, you need to walk through and die. And if you pick up the Old Testament prophets like Isaiah, what you will read is you will read of Jesus' flesh being torn into, just in fulfillment of this. And that turns an unconditional covenant into an unconditional covenant of grace. Grace. 
an unconditional covenant that needs a redeemer, that needs a savior, that needs the death of God. God the Son, fully God. God the Son made flesh. The incarnate God cut to pieces. Now, when you start grasping that, and it's hard, I think, to grasp that, and it's just wonderful and shocking and amazing, what the purpose of this is there to do is to bring our doubts and fears underneath these promises and say, look, listen to me. God says, watch what I've done. Look at this. Look at the cross. And nothing will break that covenant that I have with you because you have no part of it other than faith. This is extraordinary. There is no other religion in the world, anything like that. Sometimes people say that grace or the Christian gospel is cheap because it doesn't look as not cheap, is it? <laughs> extraordinary. What's our response? Verse 6, he, Abraham, believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteous. I guess one question is, have you accepted Jesus? Have you believed? But this is written to Christians primarily. Those who, did Abraham stop doubting from that day? Well, we'll see in about two weeks' time. No. But was he just shored up that day? Was he given another gracious, gracious Encouragement from the Lord, yes. That's why we come to church, why we go to small groups. It's why we are gathered uh, together. Now, one day, uh, God will scatter our fears and doubts to dust. But today and every day, until that day, He will speak to us, He will be kind to us, and He will show us what His covenant means. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this powerful, powerful passage in the Bible and what it teaches us about you and your kindness and your promises and your covenant and how it cannot be broken because it is unconditional, but it's not cheap. It's enormously costly because your Son, God the Son, part of the Trinity of God, was torn to pieces so that we need not walk through that tunnel. Help us believe and help us in our doubts and fears as believers to bring them all to you, to the Lord Jesus, and to do it again and again and again and as we do that, because we continue to fear and doubt, you will meet us again and again and again with the same truths. Nothing. Nothing can separate us from your love if we are in Christ. Because we have no part in that covenant. Nothing can pluck that star that we are out of the sky. Help us, Lord, as we sing now to encourage each other with these truths. 
for Jesus' sake. Amen.